Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today I'm with my new friend, Dr. Thomas Jordan. He is a New York City clinical psychologist and analyst, and he has got a deep interest and vast experience with love life, people's love lives. And he's done a lot of research and is going to introduce his book, Learn to Love, to us today. How are you, Dr. Jordan? Oh, very good. Thank you for inviting me, Rich. It's a pleasure. And actually, we're going to not go right to the book. Just so you know, the topic is loving relationships uh, and overcoming our childhood programming. And so why is it important to overcome our childhood programming? Sometimes we've got programming from our childhood. Maybe our parents had a certain kind of marriage or a certain kind of relationship. And once the falling in love thing is over and we, we get married and things get real, we start to slip into roles unconsciously that we didn't even know we thought were there. And so that's kind of what, what this is about, the overcoming our childhood programming. Yes, yes. And you put your finger on something very important. The unconscious learning, I'm going to use learning, a word that's similar to programming, the unconscious learning that takes place early in life, that gets replicated over and over again. If it's healthy, fine. If it's unhealthy, then possibility of a tragic love life, meaning you're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing these right podcasts. My mom was a very physically affectionate mother, and that's something I learned from her and that I cherish and that I use in my own loving relationships, that was definitely positive learning. Definitely. Uh, but, Absolutely. But, so yeah, it, it, it isn't all bad. That's No, 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 it isn't. And, you know, if you don't know what you're replicating and it's positive and it's healthy, fine, no problem. But if you're replicating something that's causing disappointments in your love life over and over again, then it's it's something that you got to become conscious of. Yeah, and, uh, and re- I'm going to go back to the programming metaphor. Oh, well, let's go with yours. You need to relearn it. I, I, I like reprogramming because everything's a computer to me. I don't know why, uh, but, <laughs> but that's it. Hey, so Dr. Jordan, the question I ask everyone in the beginning of the show is how did your heart lead you into this work that you do with couples? I uh, changed my own love life. Okay, well, that's that. <laughs> it changed a little. We'll just move on from that. No, no, tell with, us about it. With the method described in the book. In fact, chapter five, when I was thinking about, you know, what case studies I'd put in there, make it interesting, make it real. Let me use myself. So I used myself in my own love life. Back in the 90s, I was in treatment. I was making the same mistake over and over again in my love life. I had learned certain things in my family of origin that were not healthy, and I was recreating them over and over again in my love life. Multiple disappointments until mm. my analyst pointed out to me that I was using what my mother taught me over and over again, and it was producing results I didn't need or want in my love life. So when I became aware of that, I began to make changes with his help. So it led to a difference that made a big difference for me because then my wife showed up and I've been married for 28 years. So I think that there was something about what he helped me understand and what I went through that I needed to distill in order to help people begin the steps toward a conscious love relationship, a conscious love life where they could begin to make changes. For example, I'll give you an example. I grew up in a home where my mother taught me that eligible women were dependent and controlling because she was dependent. Her parents lived upstairs. She never separated from them. 
she was very controlling in her relationships with people, relationships with her sons. And uh, when I left home, I looked for dependent and controlling women over and over again. Mm -hmm. And here's the scary part. When I found a woman who wasn't depending, dependent or controlling, I thought she was. Yeah. So I imagine, because that was my template. That was my blueprint. So sometimes it isn't even that we found someone like that, but the glasses that we're wearing, they're Absolutely. rose colored, everything is rose colored. Good way to say it. And so I realized that when these things become conscious, we're able to make change. I like to think of an unlearning method as a way to make the change. That's one important heart reason why I wrote the book and I became very interested in love life research. Uh, another one is this 50% divorce rate. That never goes away. It's gone down a little. Little, but not much. Second marriage, 60%. Third marriage, 73%. Yeah, it gets worse and worse. If you're, a repeat, if you're a repeat offender, you get better and better at it. Oh, man. And I think it's a problem waiting to be solved. I think learning is involved in that solution. I absolutely 100% agree. One, and I love, thank you for sharing your personal story with the audience, because that always makes it so much more alive for them. All right. So tell us more about the method. What was the method of unlearning that you used in your own life that you have now created a system or a method that you can use again and again in the lives of other people? We'd love to know more about it. Yeah, I call it the unlearning method. Three steps. First step is to identify what's in what I call your psychological love life. Real change in the love life takes place from the inside out, in my opinion. Absolutely. The psychological love life is the blueprint we carry around that recreates the experiences we expect to have. Mm -hmm. And so helping people become aware of what's on the inside is the first and most important step. And so it sounds like um, we're when you talk about a blueprint, it's not that we have this blueprint that we're holding up and we're following, but it's more that almost without thinking about it, we're following a blueprint. Absolutely. And I would say without thinking about it, not almost, but without thinking well, about it. Sometimes those decisions are made uh, uh, like on a semi, the, the thought travels in the across and you see it, but don't really register yeah, it. Yeah, here and, and not here. Yeah. <laughs> kind of by the heart, maybe. So how, how, uh, do you, how do you, so the first step is seeing it, uh, is seeing right. that, or is accepting that you have that going on, or, or is it, or is the first step recognizing what the pattern is? I'm, I'm well, yeah. I understand. Both. Uh, I, I dissected the psychological love life. It consists of three components. The relationships, healthy or unhealthy, we were exposed to early in life. The uh -huh. family of origin is a wonderful first intensive classroom for teaching about love relationships. And not all experiences get into the psychological love life, too. And there's a little bit of a mystery there, which ones get in, which ones don't. Okay, what we learn from those experiences, and we learn things like what we believe about love relationships, how we behave in love relationships, and the feelings that identify love relationships. These are different parts of the learning experience. The third part of the psychological love life is after effects. And they're involved when you're Relationship experiences are unhealthy. For example, uh, people can have exposure to abandonment, to abuse, to neglect. Uh, I listed 10 in the book. I've added two more since then. Um, 
But their experiences that I found over time with people I worked with that tended to dominate people's love lives unconsciously, the unhealthy ones. So being aware of which ones are involved, and I was hoping my book would kind of stimulate a little consciousness because I go in into each one of those relationship experiences enough to make people reflect a little bit, you know? Um, so that's step one, identifying what the psychological love life consists of. Step two is the ability to take that identification and begin to challenge what's automatic. And we human beings possess this wonderful quality of challenging ourselves. And it's something that we can strengthen. And it's something that I strengthen in the work when uh, psychological change, for example, takes place and it produces an interesting conflict at the beginning. You know, you got the old learning and uh -huh. you got new things you're learning. Uh -huh. And when you're in that state, you're kind of in conflict with yourself. And that's a therapeutic state because what's new is starting to challenge what's old. You're mm -hmm. aware that it's unhealthy. You're aware that it perpetuates a pattern, as you put it, a pattern. So you begin to challenge that. And that disrupts the automatic unconscious aspect of this pattern. And mm -hmm. that's a very good thing. That disruption, I mean, it can be confusing. It can be a period where you're not sure. But if you're talking about these things and you're open about them, journaling about them, reading about them, these are states of mind where consciousness is strengthened and it can be used as a tool to disrupt this unconscious pattern. Step three is once the pattern is disrupted, you're going to take it in an opposite direction. The word opposite is a wonderfully therapeutic word in this context. For example, the opposite of rejection is acceptance. So once you realize that rejection is a powerful experience in your life that has influenced your love life, you start thinking in terms of an opposite. It's a corrective experience, the opposite of rejection acceptance, opposite of abandonment, commitment, opposite of abuse, respect. So I listed these opposites in order to give people a sense of where the therapeutic new direction is to take their love life in a corrective path that allows a new experience to take hold in their love lives. I got you. So um, let me make sure I got you. So you have three steps. First, you identify the pattern Second, you challenge or disrupt it. And third, you work in opposition to it. Uh-huh, opposite. The opposite, opposite of the pattern. That's what's therapeutic and that's what will be corrected. May I explore this with you a little? Absolutely, please. Thank you so much. So something I'm actually fascinated by, um, because a lot of the work, uh, just so to be clear, the work that I do with couples is not therapy. I work with couples on developing communication skills, uh -huh. and I work with them on identifying negative uh, patterns, patterns that are destructive, uh -huh. in, basically when they're having a communication where uh, both parties, or at least one of them, is coming from a place of, I'm going to win and I'm you're going to lose. Uh -huh. you know, that's never a positive, yeah. and helping them to... Um, create a dynamic where both people are invested in having win-win conversations. So we're very behavioral, very tool-oriented, not therapeutic. And also I, I have very limited engagements as a result. So people like you are great partners for me, by the way, because you're, you are geared to do some of the really deep work. And something I come up against very frequently with people is, you know, what starts that I'm going to win and you're going to lose thing is people get triggered. 
And when you, you, we know, most people know, it's pretty common conversation now. When we're triggered, it's because unconsciously some button or some trigger has uh -huh. been pulled or pushed. And so I'm fascinated with the concept of, of um, relearning on the unconscious level, which is, I'm using your language here, uh -huh. uh, relearning on the unconscious level. So when you get to, that was a big frame for my lead up question. Are you ready for this? Yes. Yeah. So the lead up question is, when you start working with opposites and you're in that space of challenging, how do you deconstruct the negative learning that you that that's being challenged? Well, you've you've already started in step one, the identification of something you're labeling, it, you're putting words, you're putting language. Language is a wonderful tool of consciousness that allows us to identify what is happening in our lives that we're not necessarily aware of or noticing. So you've started there and then disrupting the pattern because you've begun a process of studying your own love life. You, it's like a self-study experience where your ability to identify it is now growing into challenging it and being able to disrupt it. I mean, people use self-speech in that regard. I think that might be one of the guys I need to stay away from in my love life, or I need to stop doing a particular behavior because I'm going to get the same result. It's a, a learning process that little by little strengthens a person's ability to say, this is something I can change. So when you get to step three, to answer your question more directly, you already have a strengthened consciousness as a tool. Now, that's my personal take. Consciousness is an, a, a wonderful aha experience. Oh, I see it. Seeing it's not enough. No, and that's where I, I welcome aha, people. The like aha yourself. moment is a jumping off point for real action. That's right. And I, I welcome people like yourself, which I think use learning theory quite a bit. I think therapy and, and, and behavior work is, is, is interlaced in many respects. You know, I... I, I mean, as you were talking about your description, I'm saying, hey, man, I should say to this guy, what he's doing is therapeutic. <laughs> I would call what you're well, doing therapeutic. In, in, in New York State, <laughs> unless you're licensed, you cannot right. call it that. So okay. I'm making a very right. clear, I'm All making right. a very clear right. distinction, but for both of our sakes. Yeah, yeah, I know. But in my mind. But also, you know, they, though, it may, though it may have therapeutic aspects to it. All right. What I, what, <laughs> let me be clear. What I am not doing with my clients is we are not unraveling uh, deep emotional knots, which is something you're far better equipped to do. Okay. And, you, and, and so that would be a clearer distinction for our listeners. Okay. Okay. So uh, the opposite shows up as a concept, as an idea. When the person is in a state that's more prepared to do experiments, and I like that idea because in my work with patients who are working on their love lives, it's a, it's a, it's a work that involves experiments. They, they go and have interactions with people, for example, and they bring back those interactions to understand them more deeply, learning things from those interactions that they can start moving their love lives in a direction that's important. Uh -huh. Let me use an example. Uh, when I became aware that independence and the absence of control in a relationship was healing, was therapeutic, was an opportunity to have intimacy in my love life, I started looking for it. I started trying to understand how I could identify it. What does, what does independence look like? 
And I'll give you a deeper example of it. I grew up in a home with three brothers. I didn't have any sisters. My grandmother, my mother's mother lived upstairs. My mother, two very traditional women, two very dependent and controlling women. So I didn't have a concept of an independent, not controlling woman. What did I do? I formed some very deep relationships with female friends, not romance, not sexual friends. They were like internships back in the 90s. This is before I got married, obviously. And I learned a few things about women, that women could be independent, women could be not self-centered, they could be uh, free-minded, not necessarily controlling. And what's interesting about that is after about four or five years of those relationships, they moved away, the relationships cooled, my wife showed up. Independent, not controlling. Nice. So a reorientation of sorts takes place as you travel through the unlearning process here. It sounds like, from what you just described to me, um, it sounds like part of the unlearning process isn't just about the opposite of what you've learned, but it's also about being open to what that opposite really is and, it, and, 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 and being willing to invest the time and the emotion uh-huh. into a journey of exploration. So you Absolutely. can start to understand uh-huh. what it is that maybe you've, uh-huh. you haven't allowed in your life for whatever reason. Absolutely. And I, I like the phrase, work on your love life, because that's what it is. You're working on your love life from the inside out. And that produces changes in what we expect, changes in what we believe about love relationships, how we behave in a love relationship, and what we ultimately feel in a love relationship can be influenced by this learning process. And let me just add to our listeners, all right? So, you know, Dr. Jordan and I, I don't know why I keep calling you. I guess I get to know you better. I'll just start calling okay. you Tom. Call me Tom. All right. Tom! You, uh, you can call Tom and me I, Tom. as people who work with couples. <laughs> You know, we, we have like this innate understanding that you're supposed to work on your relationship. But I think many of us, we don't learn. By the way, I did not learn that from my parents. And I suspect, Tom, you didn't either. And many people don't learn that from the, their parents. Kind of the image that a lot of us have of marriage or partnership is, well, you get married, you fall in love, you get married, the in love part is over. What am I going to do? Uh-huh. Oh my God, we have kids. We, then you lean into your individual strengths to raise kids because you're overwhelmed. Like kids are overwhelming no matter what. You know? right. um, and as you do that, you start to develop individual lives and maybe even parallel lives. And there isn't even a thought given to, hey, we have this relationship that needs to be explored, nurtured, fed. Grown. Uh, yeah, grown, right? And so you know, what Tom's talking about here is, by the way, it's important to give your relationship attention whether you're uh-huh. having uh, dissonance or whether you're in complete harmony. If you don't feed that thing, it's going right. to gonna start to wither. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in the preface of my book, I started off with, This is not a book about love. This is a book about love relationships. Love is a wonderful, mysterious, spiritual, psychological, biological, who knows where it comes from. It's all over. It's everywhere. But love relationship is the relationship we form when we fall in love. If that relationship is healthy, if it nurtures, all the words you use, nurtured, if it grows, if it thrives, if it's a relationship that feeds the love, that two people experience. That love goes through a maturational process. It stays living. It's a living entity. It grows, it sustains, it goes in and out. It's moving and it's living. If you don't feed it, 
if you don't remove the barriers that get in the way, the complications that can show up, and you use the word, you traffic in the word communication. And to me, that's a big deal. I believe when people ask me, and they've asked me, I've done quite a few podcasts, people ask me, uh, can you give a little advice to couples? Uh, what's the most important thing? Out of my mouth comes communication. As far as I'm concerned, that's the vehicle of intimacy. That's the vehicle of problem solving. Yeah. You're blessing me as I'm going along. <laughs> you, you are preaching to, preaching to the choir, Thomas. <laughs> yes. This audience has heard me say many times that intimacy has a three legs. Uh -huh. And the first one is caring communication, not just okay. communication. Okay. The second is trust. And the uh -huh. third is empathy and compa or compassion. Beautiful. You know, like without those uh -huh. three things, empathy, em empathy, intimacy is almost impossible. Uh -huh. So yeah, beautiful. caring communication. Beautiful. So you're yeah, like, beautiful. that's why I was blessed. He's like, yes, beautiful. you're singing my song. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I, and so problem solving and being able to compromise all these words we use, trust, all these words we use, they're experiences that we form together in a relationship, but back to the working. We work on the relationship. It needs to be revised. It needs to be expanded. It needs to take into account the changes that love goes through over time. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. When yeah, do it. I, I, uh, I love that. I love the changes that love goes through over time. Uh -huh. You know, when we fall in love, it, it, it's almost effortless. You know, we, uh, it's juicy. The, we're, we're, we, are we are feeding five uh -huh. love languages to each other, uh -huh. like in huge portions on a daily basis, falling asleep on the phone at two in the morning, talking uh -huh. to each other, all that good stuff. Finishing and, each other's statements. Right. Um, there's that feeling of, oh, my God, she sees me for more that I could be than even I saw myself. We love uh -huh. like who they see us as being. I, you know, it's like amazing. But the problem is that only lasts two to three years on average mm. is, what the, is what the studies show. And then what? You know, and then love becomes more, more of a, as I hate to say it, but you got to exercise your love muscle then. You know, when you're in love, you're exercising your love muscle without even thinking about it. Oh, this is like playing a game. But uh -huh. then, you know, when the in love part ends and you, that's when the real work begins, you got to keep that love muscle strong. You, yeah. you, well, you don't got to, but if you don't, uh -huh. what's going to happen is it, you, it becomes harder and harder to show up in a loving way. Yeah, I think I, to, to add to that model you're presenting, I think that what happens is uh, what we've learned in our past starts to intrude on this love experience yeah. that we're having. Uh, and at the beginning, in the honeymoon period, right, uh, the love experience is powerful, it's strong, it's focused, it's dominant. But as it settles into routine and day to day living and the uh, repetition that personality brings in to relationship. I think these learned patterns begin to come in and they influence the relationship that people form with each other. And that's where the problems begin. And that's where essentially the work of working it through, communicating, problem solving, trusting, all of that is very important to keep it going, to keep it living, to keep it sustained over time yeah love that um tom how can people find you let's start there uh i made a website uh, it was a, a lovelifelearningcenter.com uh, its purpose was to put some 
real love life articles online. People could use it as a library if they wanted some real, uh, you know, serious love, love life advice and suggestions, understanding. So they can go there, all my stuff and my wife's stuff too. By the way, my wife is also a psychotherapist. She and I work together, have a group practice here in Manhattan and uh, she's up in the website as well. So we, uh, we offer online uh, uh, interaction as well as uh, telehealth work if people uh, need a little guidance to get through some of these uh, uh, stages that I'm talking about in the book. So. Oh, I love it. You, 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 I want to see you. I want to say, I want to have you both on the show together. I want to see you tag team it out. I want to <laughs> She'll say, Tom, it didn't happen exactly like that. <laughs> right, well, what a great resource. And, and your book, this book, it sounds like it's really good. It's got this great frame that can really help people. Where can people find it? And, and why don't you remind them of the name and all this good stuff will be in the meeting notes, folks. But, uh -huh. but just in case you got to run, Tom's going to give it to you now. Okay. Uh, Amazon.com is a primary place, but it's pretty much on a lot of other book distributors. And the name of the book is Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. And I think you access it better if you put the whole title in. That makes perfect sense. Um, what do I want to add to this? I guess what I'd love to hear is what's the legacy you want to leave behind? Um, have you ever heard of um, Leo Buscaglia? The name sounds familiar, but it's, educate me, please. Yeah, um, back in the 70s, early 70s, uh, uh, um, uh, a psychologist, educator, uh, uh, University of South Car uh, California, Southern California, um, um, emotional fellow, uh, very in tune with the emotional experiences of people. One of his students committed suicide over a love life issue, one of his female students, very distraught over this, went to the administration, said, I need to teach a love class. And they, Leo, don't you have anything better to do with your time? I need to teach a love class. My students don't have enough information about how to handle love in their lives. Uh, they argued. Finally, they gave in. You can have a classroom, Leo, no credit. He taught this class for four years, standing room only, 100 students maximum enrolled. What does that tell us? It tells us there's a need to learn about love relationships, to have a dialogue, to begin working on the love life like we work on other areas of our lives, our work life, our financial life, our educational life. So is a love class being taught at the University of Southern California in the year 2022? Probably not. So the legacy is let's work on our love lives. Let's get that divorce rate down and down. Let's Let's make changes in this very, very important area of our lives. You know what? I would settle for um, let's have at least more amicable divorces, you know, because the problem, <laughs> the problem with the, I love your legacy, by the way. Yes. Let's get the love message out there. I think if we even divorced with more love, um, it would be so less damaging to children. The people get divorced and they, they because they want to get away from the other person, but they can't because they're married to them, have children with them. And the problems that they had when they're married, the communication problems, the 
inability to get on the same page continues for years. Uh, and if they were more loving with each other, had better communication, you know, at least that part would be cleaner. Absolutely. Uh, but, but I happen to agree with you. I got into working with couples because I started out as a divorce coach and I found out that the processes that were working to create good co-parenting with couples who are getting divorced were the exact same process that people who are married could yeah. use to stay married. Yeah. It's this exact same process. It's just the, the divorced couple, they're focusing on the kids. The married couple, they're focusing on the relationship. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The focus is different. The process is the same. So I'm 100% yeah. with you. Yeah. You know what I would add briefly? That these unhealthy relationship experiences that get replicated, I think that when a couple divorces, those experiences unresolved are in the background, adding a lot of extra hurt and unfinished business yeah. to the experience of separation and divorce. And it also explains why the second time you get married, you have a 60% right. chance right. and the third time, because right. it's the sa that same, uh, that's the same learnings as, as to use your language are always present. They're right. always influencing you Absolutely. and you're just, you're, you're just doomed to repeat the same right. thing over and over. Tragically so. Yeah. Tragically so. And the level, the level to which people are unaware of the connection between what they've learned early in life and what they're experiencing in their love life is sometimes it's, it's unbelievable. Quickly, I, I, I met a person years ago, a 50-year-old woman who told me in an initial interview how she grew up in a home with an alcoholic father who was physically abusive to her mother. She and her siblings witnessed this. And then she began to tell me about the two men she married and divorced who were, you guessed it, alcoholic and abusive. She was working on a third. And I very innocently pointed out, do you think that what's happening in your love life now is related to what happened in your family? And she looked at me with a face like, huh? And I never forgot that. It stayed in my mind as an example of the disconnect that can occur mm -hmm. in this kind of situation. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. It is thank such you. a pleasure to have you. This has been wonderful. And I sincerely hope that people are buying your book, even as we speak and taking it home so they can apply it to their relationship and their personal self. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. Thank you. Mm -hmm.